recording the 10th annual Santa Barbara Writers Conference. This is tape number 25 featuring Jonathan Winters, a writer. And uh, that seems strange in this environment. <laughs> and uh, the inquirer said, uh, well, what have you written? And the man said, I wrote a book uh, called The Hundred Dollar Misunderstanding. Oh. If you remember, those of you who read it avidly like, like I did, uh, he is the one who popularized the phrase, she it. <laughs> uh, Mr. Robert Gober, where are you? Here. All right, I'll just talk, I won't talk as loudly, Mary. I'll welcome Mr. Gover, and we're sorry that we didn't know you before. We would have had you up here instead of me. Uh, there's no point in, in spending a lot of time introducing other people. You, you've met everyone. Uh, we've all met everyone. And, and we're coming, coming down the home stretch. Tomorrow morning is the wrap-up. As I told you today, we will begin here sometime between 9 and no later than 9.15, and we plan to get you out of here hopefully within an hour. We have some things to read, some prizes to give out, and um, uh, a final benediction which will send you on the road. Uh, our speaker tonight, he hasn't said anything yet. <laughs> Our speaker tonight uh, is a rather new blessing to Santa Barbara. He came here two years ago. He was at the conference last year and again this year. Uh, those of you um, who have seen him around know that he has attended almost every function. He's attended the panel discussions. He's been in and out of the workshops. He's been to the evening lectures. And um, he has been very quiet. He has sat attentively listening. Uh, never a sound out of them. As a matter of fact, uh, and that's very unusual, uh, as a matter of fact, on Tuesday when we had the screenwriting panel here, and it, um, we had, you know, the platform full of people, and uh, I moderated it, and I was rather, in my humble way, pleased with what had happened. Uh, it seemed to go pretty well, and I was leaving the auditorium, and people were saying, good job, and good panel, interesting panel, and um, my chest was getting bigger and bigger. And I walked outside to find my car, and Jonathan Winters greeted me and uh, gave me um, one of the great lines of praise that I have ever received. He, s he said to me, uh, pretty good job. He, you know, he said, pretty good job. Don't go against Monday night football. That, uh, I want to tell you, that was one of the great deflators. <laughs> so, um, those of us who have watched Jonathan's progress through Santa Barbara know that uh, he will give a 15-minute routine at Vaughn's checkout counter. <laughs> uh, he, will do, he will do 20 minutes uh, in a parking lot somewhere. Uh, he, those of you who have seen him here know that after the functions, uh, there is always a small group of eight to fifty people standing around. You think there's been an accident, and you look, and there's been no accident. It's just Jonathan. Uh, he is a poet. He's a painter. He's a writer. He's a philosopher. He's the philosopher of the parking lot. And he's a great gentleman. And uh, I'd like to bring him on now with no further introduction, because of all the people here, he needs none. Jonathan Winters. Before I turn the microphone over to John, uh, one of our students, John Anselmo, 
has a presentation he would like to make to Jonathan. Jonathan, have you ever gone to a cocktail party and saw some comedian wearing an old lampshade? Mm-hmm. And last Monday morning we asked you, what would you do with an old lampshade? Do you remember what you replied? No, I don't. I think you said... <laughs> You, you, tell replied, me about that. you replied, same thing I would do with an old woman. That's right. That's true. What would that be? <laughs> I got the same reaction here as I got then. Good. You've been signing your signature for years. Now it's our turn. Students and staff have thanked the King of Comedy by signing their signatures on the Order of the Lampshade Award. Oh. What's your heart? <laughs> I guess it was kicked around somewhat. <laughs> Fortunately, we have a lot of bases at home, and I'll just put that on one of them, and people say, what is that? <laughs> and I'll just say, uh, take a guess, and then they'll, they'll do this. <laughs> Or they'll go, oh, God. <laughs> I'll put that over. I want to thank all the signature people that did that. Bless your hearts. Uh, that takes a lot of time and effort. <laughs> and uh, I think there's an old cliche, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> but uh, before I forget it, <clears throat> which, which I won't forget, uh, incidentally, should this microphone go off, that could be in my favor. And you'd say, I, I can't hear, I can't hear. A lot of people can't. And it's, a, it's a blessing. Uh, the terrible thing is the woman in the left-hand part of the screen does that. But at any rate, uh, I want to thank uh, Barnaby Conrad, Mr. Conrad. He is an older man. And... Um, <laughs> Not much older, not much older, just a couple of years, and I certainly want to thank his young wife. Ah. I want to thank uh, Mary. Both of them have done a fantastic job, really. I want to... I, uh, you never like to single people out, but then you always do. And it always puts you in, in on the toilet, but... Or uh, on the sofa, whatever you're supposed to say. But I, I do want to thank uh, Paul Lazarus and, and Mrs. Lazarus, too. Mrs. Lazarus uh, got Paul to bed. She's, uh, over the years, she told me secretly one day near an old Willie's Night, which is a car many of you will remember if you're in your 50s or 60s, uh, that she's really brought life to Paul many times after long conferences like this. And that's so important, you know, to to get home at one, two, three, or four in the morning and say, come on, sweetheart, one more time. <laughs> Only to just pass out. One person goes over to the left, the other person goes to the right, and, and uh, the set goes, Whew. So, at any rate, enough of that. I, uh, I have my book here, which is... Uh, just for what it's worth, uh, not a lot, about 249. Uh, this is not my book, as you can tell. There's no title on it for a reason, uh, because I don't want somebody to steal the title. And uh, this is actually a sketchbook. Uh, many of you who are drawing right now, probably, and some of you are writing, and, and, and some are, are, are taking notes in the dark, going, mm, God. Um, this is a sketchbook. I don't uh, draw in this, I write in it. And uh, I write by hand, which is nothing unique, um, but I can't type. So I'm forced to write by hand, and uh, I don't know when my book, uh, they say, uh, when is uh, a book finished? Somebody said this, uh, and the uh, person came back and said, when it's published, which is very profound. That's about tied with, uh, you know, something like um, Still Water Runs Deep, <laughs> which uh, to me is a joke because I've seen Shark, the length of this room, uh, 
in six feet of water. Also, I believe intellectuals can stand in a bathtub and be still very bright. So, we'll go on, and uh, if you see me uh, reach down, it's just for tab. Many people are maybe writing a column right now or something for the Enquirer. He's bombed again. Uh, you'll see how coherent I get toward the end of my speech. I'm under heavy sedation from the waist on down. The head, incidentally, little plug, is, was made by Mattel for this particular outing. Delicious. <laughs> and so much caffeine in it. Oh. Um, <laughs> so many of us are worried about cancer. Uh, it's interesting that, and understandably so, uh, on, the, uh, on, on a good bottle of booze, you don't see a thing other than the contents are 198 proof. Uh, but on a little bottle of tab, and this one, of course, I guess they're really getting uptight about putting this, is obviously, just, just a clear bottle. Take your time. And uh, <laughs> on the can, it just says everything. Cancer, chances you'll die of caffeine and everything. And uh, on the bottle of booze, it doesn't say anything like 265 accidents, you know. Uh, just in over the 4th of July. But um, we're not here to debate over that problem. Um, I would like to talk to you for a long time this tonight, so just settle back and, and pretend or, or go along with what you've had to go along with the other speakers uh, at this particular time, which is a lot of... Uh, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you drop off, drop off. Just don't make a sound. Try to drop off like this. There you go. <laughs> Uh, I promise uh, to be uh, as together as I can, as articulate, as fast and, and moving. I don't want to be too fast. Uh, I don't think there's any chance of that. Uh, or, or too slow if you start to drop your voice down. And I remember when, oh, somebody's gone already. Um, one more picture for Ebony. <laughs> so, uh, at any rate. I, uh, I'd like to... Uh, move the program right along. I know that we have other activities, hopefully right after I speak. Uh, people have had a fantastic or different dinner. And uh, I think, what, what the hell, for a hundred bucks, what do you expect? You know, the room's a hundred, you're talking about two hundred dollars, uh, you just don't get those thickies every night. <laughs> and when you get home, you can beef it up a little. You know, go back to the regular stuff you're eating, also the stuff in the jars and vitamin freaks that uh, I don't eat anything except these particular rainbow pills plus things of multivitamin pills that I take from my doctor and I weigh 136 pounds which uh, which is a good good weight and stay at that weight and you'll probably die at that weight <laughs> myself I got plenty of flesh to lose and people probably open up the box long after I'd say a good 10 years and say why he's still fat <laughs> uh, that's the only thing going for the obese. Uh, yeah, you know, great-grandchildren look in and, yay! Just like grand I thought granddad would look. <laughs> well, we're not here to discuss death. We're here to discuss life and uh, tr trying to get a book sold. Um, I know that many of you here are extremely bright people. Uh, if you're not, uh, then uh, you're probably, chances are, like myself, slow or labeled dumb. Uh, I think you know yourself whether you're dumb or not. I certainly do. Uh, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Uh, I've turned things around. People say, how dare him say that about me? Uh, I think Somerset Mom said this. I know he did because it's, uh, it's uh, I have this on my person somewhere. And uh, he said, only the mediocre are always at their best. Uh, so there are a lot of mediocre folks around, and uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's part of it. Myself, uh, I have no long story to uh, tell you. I wish that I could lie to you, and really, I, and I will throughout my speech from time to time. Uh, lies are good. A good lie is a good lie. A piece of bad truth is terrible. You can put that down for me. Uh, I think that uh, fantasies are fun. I, I, I use, I call on my fantasies constantly. They, uh, being an only child, I had nothing to play with. Tragic. Uh, everything was put away. And I didn't have the key or lock or anything. And mother said, I'll learn to love you when you're 40 and then you can play with them. 
So I, I started out with problems. And uh, I broke into toy stores and took toys and played with them. And those, I have those toys today. And years ago, they were worth 25 cents, and now they're $600 a piece. <laughs> pays to, it pays to steal if you can get away with it. Crime does pay. What a terrible thing to say. But uh, it's true. Uh, just don't steal. Just don't steal a lot. Don't steal often. Steal now and then. And uh, you'll find yourself uh, not labeled to be an out-and-out -out thief. In other words, when you visit a home, take a little thing home with you. <laughs> like a silver dollar. <laughs> Silver's up, you know. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, I would never endorse thievery. I have to go back to that, although I was not a scout. And uh, I think the thing is the three fingers for this. It's also for a drink. <laughs> um, but I guess the scouts drink. They must have, you know. Have a grizzly bear grab. Yeah, I think I drink. <laughs> But um, I wasn't a Cub Scout or a Boy Scout. I was just a, a student uh, that was really struggling to get through high school. And, of course, when the war broke out, I ran immediately into a large post office. We don't have those anymore. We have small ones because stamps are smaller. And uh, as I remember, we had tremendously big stamps. Now we're down to these things and uh, 40 cents just to go across town. Um, I love to write a kind of a, you know, a, just a half-assed pony across the town and, and, and just say, I'm with Wells Fargo. And uh, have a woman say, how sweet of you to ride over. And, uh, of course, many of, the, many of the houses that you ride up to, people go, oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I want to, uh, there are a lot of things that I want to say. I may ramble because the wonderful thing is I'm not being graded tonight. I really don't give a <laughs> damn. Uh, I write for myself. I play by myself. Uh, my wife is usually doing the dishes. I'm already on the floor. And uh, I walk with a teddy bear a lot of times through bullocks. Uh, just, uh, I take my own little, little goodies, my little surveys, uh, walk up to uh, a woman's perfume counter and say, I'll have the Black Forest. Uh, and you get a reaction now, and not nearly as much as you used to in the 40s. But... Uh, uh, People are just left alone. It's, to me, it's Halloween all year round anyway. I like that. I wear all kinds of costumes. I have over here, you can't, many of you can't see it. I'll step over here. And that's enough. Um, it's on the right side. It should be on the left, but there's a pocket on the left, and I couldn't get it on the right or the left. It's uh, uh, the Australian uh, coat of arms, which is, uh, yeah, well, good. Somebody from Australia. Wonderful. Way in the back. Well, if you're not down under, you're way in the back. <laughs> Um, if you'd been at the Falklands, uh, we'd have gone with you up front, but at any rate, we we're very fortunate that the Falklands did take place, and it uh, uh, gives a chance to get something going, and that lady is a nice lady, dresses, I think, little, the, the, hey, upstairs, boy, it's all together, but a little bit of the J.C. Penny dress. Um... Talking about Mrs. Thatcher, who speaks very well. I should really get down there and get them. Neat. And the general with white hair. Como se lo All the guys watching one TV set. And some guy in Des Moines goes, I'll be damned. Where the hell is it? You know, what? What are they fighting over? Are they fighting over the price of lamb or oil? <laughs> and one little cockney farmer. Well, I just, I just, I just moved down here just a fortnight ago. What's going on? Hey, Martha, Martha, come on in with that Hudson Bay blanket. We'll have a go at it. I, uh, I know that uh, that all of you here have come chiefly for one reason, and that is to learn about writing. And. Uh, Writing, certainly, without, uh, goes without saying, whether I would say it or not, is a very important, plays a very important part in our lives. It did in my life uh, back in 1943, the beginning of 44, to be correct. I was somewhere in the Pacific. Many of you are saying right now, don't you know where you were? Uh, of course I didn't. I was an enlisted man. We weren't allowed to know where we were. We were told we were going somewhere. Had to go along with it. Put your hand up and you're Viva Zapata. I, uh, sir, where are we going? Exactly. Shut up. 
Give that man 65 rifles, 46 boxes of grenades to carry. You go to the head, get it out of your system. So, um, I don't really remember where I was, and it makes it kind of neat when a guy tries to pin you down. Were you on Saipan? Huh? I don't know. I don't know. I know this. We saw Richard Arland. He was withered, and uh, he went, Hi, boys, and gone. We shot Bob Hope down, by the way. Uh, just hit the nose of a C-47, and 6,500 cue cards came out. <laughs> but, uh... No, we didn't have any ladies. Uh, we didn't have any guys, any, any stars. I, uh, I don't recall anybody but just ourselves. <laughs> just standing there and looking and wondering and waiting for the war to, to go on. And uh, because basically my, my outfit, per se, did not, did not want to go home right away because we didn't want to go back to high school. Um, and we, we were allowed, our unit, seriously, we were dressed in blues when we hit the island, and, uh, which is unusual. Usually you're, you know, in some in dungarees or something with just a regular helmet and an M1. But we were dressed in blues. We looked great going in. We were pinned down for over 200 days. Uh, and then they brought in cheerleaders, and God, we took those Japanese just like that. Um, I still have Angora on both hands. But I, I, uh, I got the Purple Heart from uh, uh, about four bags of uh, Dear John letters hit me in the back. And uh, I've never been the same since. I think what took it out of me psychologically and, and uh, uh, physically and, and uh, psychiatry speaking, whatever the words are. Um, I can erase those later. Surely this will be edited. Um, uh, my back still hurts from, uh, from, you know, you drop mail from uh, at least a thousand feet and you're, you're never quite right, even if they're love letters, you know. But uh, I wanted to ask you, I, I assume that all of us, uh, while we've been here, have, hopefully, married or single, I happen to be married 33 very long years to a wonderful woman, you know, who couldn't be here tonight because she's that wonderful. Um, she, uh, she has heard me, and I've heard her. And uh, I never make fun of her. Oh, a lot of comedians, a lot of guys that are actors, a lot of people that are writers, a lot of people that are novelists, uh, doctors, uh, interns, uh, lawyers, football players make fun of their wives. I would never make fun of the lady that has 50% of everything I have. That's tragic. Maybe 75 now. Laws are changing every hour. <laughs> but she's very sweet, and occasionally she does what I tell her, like, wear a cellophane dress. Um... Uh, I wonder how many of you have written to your loved ones who are either free or enclosed. Uh, people say to me, how are you? And I always say, I'm out. And people will automatically say, I don't understand. Well, you'd have to be in to appreciate that. It, it cuts it down, you know, rather than explaining, I was terrible, I was like this. <laughs> but uh, we, we didn't see uh, Mr. Nicholson, I'll tell you that. Um, and we didn't see an Indian. <laughs> We saw huge people and uh, a set with no screen. Um, it's, I'm rambling here, but at any rate, it, it's, it's good for It's healthy for me. I feel that many of us are, I would say all of us really are handicapped in one way or another. The person that says he's well, there's nothing the matter with me, uh, always frightens me. Then I always say you should be always dressed in white, carrying a stick and walking just slightly upwards. Um, <laughs> And preferably wearing steel rims and picture of Gandhi. Um, I hope you've had an opportunity to write home. Many of us don't call because we're cheap. Or uh, reverse the charges because we're frightened. Or just forget. You know, the pirate things they talk about, whatever those. I've never, never quite out find out the pirate courses. I guess those are Christ courses at 3 o'clock in the morning. And you really have 16 people in one little cottage and it's, well, yes, what did you have there? I wrote some poetry and I think that it's kind of neat. Good, good, good. <laughs> read it. And you read it and, oh, Jesus. But um, I wonder how many of you, as articulate as you are, and I, I would hope, I would never assume, I would always hope, I would know somewhere deep inside uh, me that uh, you can definitely get it, say something on a postcard. I am, I'm holding up a postcard. Now, you call yourselves writers, right? Playwrights, right. novelists, 
comedy writers, screenwriters, working for the UPI at one time or another, um, <laughs> sports uh, writers, all kinds of writers, poetess, poet, poets. It's interesting what people say that are really articulate, extremely bright, on the back of a card such as this. This, incidentally, I, uh, this is not really a, a, a plug for the Biltmore. That's the other hotel we have in the area. Um, they couldn't accommodate us, I guess. Um, that gets me off the hook, gang. <laughs> At any rate, this is a picture, and, and any of those uh, that would like a card similar to this, you can go over to the Biltmore tomorrow and, and get one. I'm sure they have over 50,000 of them left. But you know when you write to people and you say, on the, this side, of course, is where you write. We know that. <laughs> I had a guy in my outfit didn't know that. He wrote on the glossy side. <laughs> and he was a gunnery sergeant. <laughs> that was another reason why I didn't ship over. But many people will describe the pool, which if you can't see, there is a pool in the card. And uh, there are all kinds of little houses. And it's interesting to, to see what a, a man or a woman will say, uh, Dear Bob, the pool is almost like the time that we were in Madrid. It's the same type of tile. <laughs> Bob, incidentally, is, it's his fourth time with pneumonia. <laughs> and he's bedridden on a Levitt's couch. <laughs> and um, he sees this card and he hears her through the back of the cards uh, describing this wonderful series of buildings and umbrellas. And she says, it has an almost Gauganish <laughs> atmosphere, except there's no sand, but this, uh, this is astroturf in lieu of grass, because so many of the little poodles have destroyed the grass. <laughs> and then you go on and on, and uh, that's about it. Love, <laughs> Amelia. Um, and then, of course, the, the address. It's always good to try to live in a small town anywhere in this country, like Wicket, you know, uh, Kansas, because that'll go right here. And also have a small name, Jim Smith. Perfect. If you have Alexander Bolton Telenovsky, you're not going to get on the card. Better to just put down Alex. But uh, that's about enough for the card. Um, I just thought I'd, you can come up here. The first person that rushes forward to get this, it's a little souvenir uh, without anything on it. This way, you can u actually use the card and say, I would hope that I touched it. Boy, is that an ego trip. Uh, we've heard uh, some great speakers here, obviously starting out, as I recall, with uh, Ray Bradbury and ending up with uh, Mr. Alex Haley last night. And here I am, the uh, last speaker. Uh, I've only written one little book, which uh, is already out of print. It, they said it would be out of print right after they printed it. <laughs> but I got, you know, uh, I think uh, when you finally sifted it down, twelve five, $12,500 for everything. So. I felt very pleased, and I hope you get more than that. Uh, usually you're promised that going in. I was promised nothing. Um, so I, you have to be careful that second time around. I, uh, I, I printed a little book uh, of cartoons, because at that time I was into cartoons, and now I'm just into painting and uh, writing and performing uh, when called upon, and not necessarily in that order. Uh, many times I'll be called, uh, I was called today by my agent to see just how I was in general. I told him I was standing in the shower with Duracells and a picture of Bob Conrad. And uh, after our 27-year relationship, he really doesn't know whether I'm kidding or not. And that's it. I don't know whether he's kidding, but he still gets 10% of me. Oh, we've had some great speakers, and I'd like to introduce you quickly to what I consider four very different speakers. First of all, a great lady. And she's, uh, she, it's her very first book. It took her, as I see here, 54 years to write it. She's now 91 years old, and it's Miss Maud Frickert. And the title of her book, <laughs> title of her book is One More Time. 
Miss Frickard, would you come up, please? What? what? Oh. I see. Just, just adjusted it. I get it. Miss Frickard? <laughs> Man was watching the box. It's a true delight to be here. If I grope uh, for, uh, to be, make myself understood, <laughs> this is part of being old as your tongue darts in and out. <laughs> but I'm 91 and I'm very proud of that and the fact that I have a tongue that darts in and out. I have been married 28 times. I loved every one of them. I didn't marry for sex. For those fiends out there that think that's all that happens is, this is the main course, gang. From here on down, it's all side dishes. <laughs> that's in my book one more time. True, dessert is dessert. <laughs> But this is the main course. The first mister, I married when I was 12 years old. It was a toy wedding. We were kidding. <laughs> Not for long. He played soldier, I played nurse. We were in a tent like that, jockey. The other misters were people that were in construction. I always tried to marry for the man's build because I knew toward the end that I'd be falling down a lot. <laughs> I could name them one after another, but they were all outstanding. Every one of them had a sense of humor. I buried every one of them myself. When I was bored, I buried them. Now, if my head shakes, that's not palsy of the head. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it isn't palsy of the head. I think it's being married 28 times. I think everything gets a little loose, don't you, gang? How about trying two years? Jesus. I was married, incidentally, at Niagara Falls. I was married out to, in, in, in the Dakotas or wherever the four faces of five of the presidents are. <laughs> Up there at Mount Rushmore, Rushmore. You have power failures, too. Just in the tongue and the head, it's everything. I was married in the hay mow to one guy. Boy, the only way I could get him off of me was a pitchfork. I was married to a man on the boat. The boat sunk. I hung on to him. Boy, did I hang on to him. <laughs> buried him face down. <laughs> but you must read my book. It's a book that's for young and old alike. Entitled, hmm? What? Boy. One more time. So, know this. If you don't get it right the first, try, try again. It's so important. It's so dull to hang in there for 35, 40, golden anniversary. That's a lot of... <laughs> Go for broke. Try one after another. Try a blonde stud. Try a guy that's brunette, redhead. It's great. Tie it. I had one tiny man. He was a spinner. <laughs> that was in the 30s. <laughs> Thank you so much. One of the uh, great mystery writers of our time, Sir Henry Bizancourt, and his book, The Man Behind the Green Bush. <laughs> Sir Henry, it's a joy to have you here, and I know you're from England. I assume you're from England. Perhaps I shouldn't assume anything we always do, but you certainly talk like you're from England. <laughs> Would you tell us about uh, The Man Behind the Green Bush? Yes. I've written, to my knowledge, Basically, for those in England, uh, I had no intention until well into my life to write for the world. <laughs> but growing up, I decided I'd write only for the British, which is very selfish. But 
you must understand we have God knows how many little counties and villages. It takes a great deal of writing and time to study all the dialects just in England, let alone Wales, Scotland. And I was never in Ireland. <laughs> I felt that throwing darts is not enough. Uh, I don't mean to pick at the Irish. Delightful race. I just didn't get across that far. But Mummy was always, uh, we had a nurse and, and father was in the military. He was in Egypt, and if he wasn't in Egypt, like most uh, British military, he was, of course, uh, in India. <laughs> or he'd be in Burma, you see. Whatever we had going, Rangoon, Calcutta, with some poor chap or chaps running alongside father. I remember one day, I was just a bit of a lad. I was, I was thinking of Sandhurst, not ser seriously. But at that time, I was, I was always, incidentally, hiding behind something. But I, toward the end, I, I hid behind bushes. And uh, I, was, I hid behind Mummy, I hid behind uh, Sabuba, and Sabuba was a tremendous, frighteningly tall uh, girl, well, he was, he was uh, uh, Indian, uh, one of the tall ones, I don't remember the, uh, the Sikh, yes, he was a Sikh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and uh, he would say, Wundar Sahib, no, dude, I'm telling you not to go there, you didn't see that, I can go there, he talked very fast, you see, he was killed. Uh, only because we couldn't understand him. <laughs> if you can't, Father used to say, if you can't understand someone, kill them. <laughs> and, uh, but Father, you must remember, forgive Father, because he was funny at times. <laughs> and he did get the Victoria Cross. And uh, he loved Mother. <laughs> and he loved Pajo, which was our little uh, uh, pug dog. He'd always pick the little dog up, and toward the end, the, the dog's face was completely sucked in because he kissed it so often you see the dog that the face went literally back into the back end of the skull of the dog but i wrote the the book the man behind the green bush because it's so much fun to scare a potential cardiac and uh this here i am in my 70s you can't tell <laughs> it's so much fun to jump out and say oh, <laughs> and say that I'm from Scotland Yard and uh, I'm going to uh, scare you. And then they go, and fall. <laughs> so it's a, it, it, it's in essence, it's a book, it's tips on how to scare the elderly. <laughs> Our uh, next, uh, next writer is a very young man who, uh, This is a very young man who has just had his uh, first children's book published. And uh, his, he's 10 years old. His uh, name is Chester Honeyhugger. And it's called The Day the Bully Went Away. Is that your book, right, Chester? You want me to get you up here? Yes. Uh, I am Chester Honeyhugger. And I did write a book called The Day the Bully Went Away. It all started over my bicycle. Every boy and most girls at one stage or another, now adults are really taking over the paths, but most kids at around eight or 10 get a bicycle. My first bicycle had three wheels until Bob Pettigrew came up to me and he said, I think you only need two wheels. <laughs> it's unusual for a child at my particular age and time in life. I was eight. He was every bit of nine, but he was six feet seven. <laughs> Today he's with Ringling Brothers, and I'm glad. People stare at him. He was cruel. He took the wheel off the back of my bike. He ate the second wheel. And I used the front wheel as a unicycle, which got me to school. He took my football. He took my marbles. Not these. He took my real marbles. He took two of my steelies. He dragged my sister for 13 blocks. I would have done that. 
he beat up on my brother, who's easy. He really scotch taped my dog to a tree. When I freed my dog, my dog killed him. It's just, I write short stories. The last uh, author is a novelist who's been around for a long, long time. Was a part-time ghostwriter for Hemingway, Huxley, Robert Rourke, not to mention Pearl Buck. <laughs> Wesley Bittentile and his latest fantastic novel, which has been number two for the past eight weeks. Incredible. Love on the North Face. <laughs> Wesley? I have, uh, I've always loved to write ever since I can remember. <laughs> of all the arts, to dabble in painting or to be become a great artist must be something. Uh, to, uh, to perform must be something, to be an actor or an actress, or a singer, or a train. <laughs> I'll just wait till that some bitch rolls through. Um, you know it's hell to signal here in Montecito. <laughs> they should do that miles ahead. That's the reason I don't ride those things anymore. Wakes up your loved one. I, uh, I have written all kinds of novels. I am a romanticist. I'm a fatalist. I'm scared, frightened, hero. I've been everything. If you're a good writer, you must be all these things to all these people. You cannot be one thing, I don't think, and be a good writer. I've written this in my lessons about writing. They have not sold. <laughs> but that's all right, I don't give a damn. My current wife is loaded. <laughs> she loves my books. Can you tell I'm from the South? Uh, in any event, any event, oh. <laughs> Hold it out like this. Uh, you might be wondering about why I entitled my latest book, which I must, <laughs> I've written so many, I have to go back and see the paper, uh, Love on the North Face. This is a story, for those people taking notes, about a young couple trying to make it to the top of Matterhorn. I was born in the South, in Billiton, Arkansas. I went to Tulane and did almost six months at Yale. I felt strange with a white Y on a blue sweater and carving my initials in table. We would never do that at home. I said, Mores. <laughs> uh, to the tables down at Mores. You must know that song. I know you do. Did you know it, dear? That's why you are where you are. <laughs> uh, damn, yeah, people get up front quick, don't they? Vanderbilt would kick your gun all the way out there. Uh, at any rate, this is a story of two wonderful young people. They're in their 30s. They fall in love in a little lodge, and then they get... You know, they go over to a sporting gun store and get picks and, and all the rigs and gear and ropes and stuff and just pick their way up to the top. And it's a lovely story of love and picking and love and picking and pulling, pulling the rope. Say, come on, Emily. Come along, Emily. That's the girl in the book. Bob's name, uh, boy's name is Bob. Bob's name doesn't make any difference. Uh, Bob. It, I, I change it to Eric before they get to the top because he loses his mind. <laughs> you get some bad snow, you know, and... Ice, you go, you're going to you have trouble, you lose your feet, you lose your mind, you lose something. I lost my father to a Sherpa. Uh, oh, terrible, terrible. And he was a guide. But um, these people freeze to death uh, at, the end of the, at the, the ending of the book. They're actually frozen to death. But when they find them, they just think it's one person. It's almost science fiction. <laughs> but uh, that's the reason I've had eight incredible weeks in number two spot.
I wanted to uh, read you something. Uh, oh, please, not not. It's not serious because uh, people about this time of the evening say, "Oh God, I hope he doesn't get serious now." We don't need any of that. <laughs> no, you uh, you won't have to worry about that. Uh, I've done uh, what we call those heavy things before, and uh, sometimes they pay off, um, and sometimes they don't. But I have been um, writing a book. Started writing it in 1975, and uh, here it is, uh, to my knowledge, 1982. I know that because my driver's license is coming up. How quick I am. <laughs> um, the title of my book is still, uh, I Couldn't Wait for Success, I Went On Ahead Without It. <laughs> and um, I don't know what's really going to happen with it. I was told by five publishers, uh, they all know who they are, and... We know who they are, so what the hell. Um, it's interesting to a guy who's had three breakdowns, uh, having been an alcoholic, did six months in the Naval Hospital, married 33 years, two children, uh, never got into drugs, uh, didn't miss uh, much of anything else, um, a little slow in school, got out of school, spiked a guy at third base at Kenyon, and he said, you stepped on my right foot and it's bleeding. And I said, well, now let's try your left, and that'll mean I'll go home and score for our team. Uh, then I was paddled by a man uh, for the uh, DKE, Delicap Epsilon, and... I cast him as a mosaic in one of the windows there. This was, uh, at that time, I, I felt I was right. And I, by the way, still think I'm right. Uh, but uh, they asked me an interesting question. After all these things, and acting, and television, some theater, I think I had about uh, two weeks on Broadway. That was about all. Replaced Orson Bean in uh, John Murray Anderson's Almanac. A wonderful thrill just to be in the playbill and and put that uh, all that makeup on for just a few minutes and and then get $318 for 16 performances. Um, I don't know. I, I love the theater, but I, I just, uh, I don't know anybody talks that way. Um, hello, Paul. Wonderful to see you. Welcome to the summer house. Come on in, Emily. You remember Isaac. Is it raining outside or is it raining? I just, uh, I salute the theater. It's just that I'm afraid to go at night. <laughs> they just have it out there in the street. That's fine with me. I kid about Broadway. Uh, I really believe that I've come to know what discipline is all about and patience. I salute theater people for many reasons. I think the main reason, not just for the memorization of the lines, that can come easy after you get that play together, um, what is hard is keeping that electricity up, uh, especially with drama. Comedy, it's tough, very tough. But, you know, to cry every night with a rubber dagger in you. Uh, <laughs> and to really, you know, try to believe that, oh, jeez, yes, I... Um, by Saturday, you're a little, you know, after that second show, and the woman's eating the Clark bar and a piece of chicken over here... Oh, God, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. Um, but I, I could never memorize Shakespeare. And uh, I, I don't know what they're doing. It's like opera. Uh, I know Italians, and I'm very fond of them for many reasons. I'm scared of them. <laughs> um, but uh, they may have surrendered, you know, in the desert. Forget it. Um, but I, it's interesting with Shakespeare. Boy, that's, the, to me, got to be the toughest stuff in the world to memorize. You know, seek thee not. And yet a falcon comes to cross a noon, yet you would see these vile eyes speak to me of naught. I remember twas that night when in the castle not I see and speak to you. And people are going, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> damn right, man. Burton's okay, you know. Uh, what he's saying is they're down the moat. I don't know. I don't know. I fail Latin, too. That's a dead language. You got to bring it up to date for me, gang. I love the costumes. I like to see the girl with a deep little V there. Um, this is a little thing that uh, I just put in my book fairly recently. January. That's, that's, no, it's fairly late. <laughs> Whatever. It's called uh, My Last Flight South. We ducks always look forward to flying south for the winter. 
I understand a lot of humans like to escape from the icy winds and heavy snows of the north, too. Like our friends, the great Canadian geese, we fly in a V-shape. How high is anybody's guess? Rest assured that we always try to fly out of range of those hunters that bang away at us from their blinds. It was this last fall, a little later than usual, that about a hundred of us took off from some lakes in northern Michigan and headed south. Although the sky was crystal clear, it was definitely cold. We were glad to be leaving the pond, and what was left of some rushes, and what was left of some rushes, food was really getting scarce. We took off shortly after dawn. There seemed to me to be a lot of unnecessary amount of quacking. <laughs> My being leader, I told everybody to hold the quacking down. We could all celebrate when we finally got into Mexico, or better yet, Central America. The earth looked cold, just as bare as it did last year. Just a semblance of corn stalks, stubbles of alfalfa, the trees, really bare, not a leaf. A very heavy frost covered the ground, making it look as though it were almost an inch of snow were on the ground. We had crossed over a wide and very long river, probably the Ohio. We'd been flying at least three hours and had spotted a fairly good-sized pond in what I'd like to believe was northern Kentucky. <laughs> I was headed in first, as I was the leader. I was about, I guess, 50 feet off the water when I heard a loud bang. That's all. It was over just like that. I fell like a rock into that icy water below. The other shots, I didn't hear. Next thing I know, I was staring into the eyes of a black Labrador retriever. <laughs> he was coming to pick me up. You ever been in a dog's mouth? Interesting enough, they're rather gentle. They know you're dead, so they're not going to hurt you. I was just barely alive when the big black head was moving toward me, when his mouth was open. Just before he clamped down on me, I told him I was not just an ordinary duck. I was a red-headed canvasback, all right, but I was a fish eater. He stopped dead in his tracks, slammed on the brakes. Hard to do in deep water. <laughs> he gave me a wink and circled and headed back to the duck blind. He saved himself some extra padding, paddling, but missed a big pat on the head. Me? I died all right, but with dignity. Sure, I got shot down. I don't care what anybody says. In the long run, it still pays to eat fish, especially if you're a duck and flying south for the winter. I uh, see that it's uh, nine o'clock. How clever of me to notice this. I took this off a man poolside, just resting and I told you earlier, you know, uh, crime does pay if you can get away with it. Uh, but, of course, the man is waiting for me outside with two people in black and white. Um, I wonder, I, usually people leave you with some or many words of wisdom. I, uh, I wish I were full of words of wisdom. Uh, I'm not really much of an authority on anything. I always say because I meet so many. Um, I... Uh, I've learned an awful lot myself. I, I, the guy that says that uh, he stopped learning, uh, then he's ready to pick out the, the box. Um, I've been an observer most of my life. Uh, that's helped me. I think that this is the greatest camera in the world. The only way that you can be missing with that camera is through blindness, and God forbid that you have that, unless, of course, uh, a person that is blind... Uh, maybe in some respects, maybe in many respects, has more an in-depth study of his fellow man than 
the man that sees. True of a person that can't hear. Um, I don't know. I've been, I think, fortunate to, uh, as I say, to be an observer. One little story for what it's worth. When you think that, um, and you do, and we all do, get discouraged uh, on a daily basis, weekly basis, throughout the years, you say, oh, my God, am I ever going to get a break and sell this or get chosen for this particular part or get this book off the ground and you turn around and go back at it and you get criticized and an editor and one other editor and several editors come in and scratch it and pick it apart and you say, uh, I don't know. But somehow or other you get back up if, if you want to get back up. And somehow or other it does get sold. And if it doesn't get sold, there's something great about that too, which might sound a little strange. Somebody within your immediate family, whether you're married, single, kids, grandchildren, whatever, gets a crack at that book. That's important. To say, I didn't realize that Dad felt as strongly as he did about so many things other than just this or that. Or Mom felt this way. Or she or he. It's important, in essence, to write for you. I think it's a bonus if it goes on that shelf across America. It's just a different kind of bonus if it goes on your shelf at your home or in your apartment, wherever. Um, those are my feelings. I remember uh, a young lieutenant said to me one time, he was about a cool 24 years old, and it was 1960, and he was uh, in his uh, track shorts, and he had his track shoes on, and he was running against the Air Force and a guy in the Navy, and there were just the three in the race, and it was uh, a mile. There were mile runners or whatever, and he came over to me, and he said, uh, Mr. Winters, uh, I know that you were in the Corps. I'm running today. I'm running for my folks. They're not going to be here. They're from Fort Dodge, Iowa. It's a long way from here in Quantico. But I'm, I'll be running for you, and I'll be running for them. And I said, forget about your folks and forget about the Corps. You run for you, Lieutenant. Hell, I was, I made corporal on the last day. And here you are calling me, sir. My God. Get out there, Lieutenant, and make it. And the gun went off, and they went around the track, and he came in second. He got the silver medal. The Air Force guy got the gold. The Navy guy got the bronze. And they stood up on those boxes that they stand up on. They played the uh, Air Force hymn. They played the, uh, in the halls of Montezuma, the Marine Corps hymn, and they played Anchors Away. And the lieutenant came down off the box, and he came over, and he had tears in his eyes, and he said, you got to forgive me, man. I, I'm sorry, sir. I, I was that close. And he was. He was that close. But he made second. And I said, I'm going to tell you something, Lieutenant. And I want you to always remember this. I used to feel terrible. Maybe sometimes I still feel badly that I didn't become an officer. It was only my fault. It was because I failed. That I quit in high school and I had a decision. And I made it and I, I got overseas. And a lot of things happened, but at least I'm here. and I'm a survivor. But I wanted to make an officer badly, but... I said, you know something? You're a lousy observer. You're a first lieutenant in the United States Marines, but you're just a very bad observer. Why do you say that? Because right down to your right, about 16 or 20 feet away, was a guy with a Graflex. And he took pictures of you three clowns. And you three clowns go on Sports Illustrated probably within four weeks. And you go all the way around the world. So the way I look at it, the most important thing is that you get in the picture. That's all I've ever tried to do, is to suit up, as a lot of us say. I don't have an Emmy. I don't have an Oscar. I don't have a book that thick out. I don't have a lot of things out. But I've been out there and I've suited up. That's the important thing, is not to sit in the locker room, get out of the tunnel, off the bench, and try to get a quarter in. Maybe you won't see four quarters. But don't get discouraged. I mean, you've heard that, I'm sure, all this week, but it's true. It's easy. It's, uh, it's the easiest thing in the world to pack it in. It takes a lot of guts. 
I went down La Siena, uh, La Siena Avenue not but a handful of years ago, 1973. Every uh, art store, or gallery rather, turned me down, except one. And that art gallery gave me a show. And the man who's now gone was Mr. Seldes, who was the art critic for the Los Angeles Times, gave me my best write-up. I'd walked up and down both sides of La Cienica, and one gallery took me. So you never know, just one publisher might take you. Give you a try, 36. Question from Bill Downey? How are you going to turn Bill Downey down? Sure, Bill. Because uh, they thought that I'd be important. And uh, no, uh, my father's name was Jonathan Winters. Uh, he's gone now, and uh, I would very honestly have liked to have been called, if it was up to me, I'd like to have been called Christopher Winters. I think that's a hell of a name for a writer. But since I'm tacked with Jonathan, I find there are a lot of writers and now actors and a lot of people called Jonathan. So uh, I, that was my name, and I really didn't have much choice. I remember also, Bill, that uh, the beginning of my book uh, says, incidentally, I wasn't born in a trunk. I was born in a very unattractive uh, gray metal bed. And um, I had pink beads for the first 12 days. And I think this is what got me off to an unusual start. <laughs> and uh, then when the blue ones came, it was too late. I began counting them, and that's unusual for an Episcopalian. Ah. <laughs> uh, oh. Yes, you do. I, uh... Well, Mr. Mr. Conrad, bless your heart. I would like to go on and on, but I, uh, I, my mother used to say, and she was, uh, she was very right. She was, she was an unusual lady. I didn't see much of her for a long time, and uh, but she taught me uh, pretty much how to handle that imaginary colt. And uh, when you come up against people, a standard line for most of us funny men, as you know, is um, say something funny. And I always say I would if I thought you'd get it. Uh, that sounds a little caustic and tough, but it's meant to be. You know, it's like, write me a poem now. I don't feel it. I don't want to. Uh, write me a book. You don't say to a doctor, uh, do a little something. I say, you want to remove this? It's the basics. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I learned a great deal from my mother. The biggest thing I ever learned was she was an actress. She was on radio. And my father was, uh, uh, was an investment broker. I don't know what to say what that means. I think he studied secretly under Hausman. And uh, we earn it. <laughs> I love that. Such a warm man. Um, he and Iacocca, you know, if you can find a better car, go out there and buy it. Of course, that's what they're doing. Uh, but uh, I really, you know, my mother said, uh, just know when to get your butt off the funny dais. And I, I, all I can say in closing, I w it's been a great week for me, and I... I live up here temporarily because I, I just, I, the vegetables and the meat are incredibly expensive. Um, <laughs> we have to go to Vons in L.A. And uh, I just, I've never seen a Vons with $55 potatoes. Uh, but um, this is a beautiful spot. I, I know many of you are from all over the country and many parts of the world. And uh, my wife and I have a, a small little house that we're trying to hold down. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll stay there as long as we can, you know. And then uh, eventually it'll be this, you know. It'll be the Mr. and Mrs. Steinbeck. <laughs> um, picture of John Carradine. Okay, going to Bakersfield. But um, it just uh, all I can say is to you, really, the very best, and I, I mean that sincerely, uh, don't be like me from the standpoint, when I say like me, for too many years. I started out that way as an artist. I was going to be an artist, and I, I still think probably when I do hang it up, I'll, I'll go back to painting. Only because really there, you know, maybe even more so in some strange way than writing, you are your own man, your own woman, whatever. It's your canvas, where you get it at Aaron Brothers or from Belgian. Uh, it doesn't make any difference. And the person looks, what is it? 
I don't know. <laughs> Did Jackson Pollock know? What difference does it make? A woman said to me the other day, she said, how much are your paintings? I had one about the biggest one like this. I said, $3,000. She said, oh my God. Oh, about $200. <laughs> You know, if you scare them, I, I noticed she had a lot of Gucci stuff on her, and I, you must never come into a person's basement with Gucci stuff on you. They notice that even in Tangiers. And, uh, better to come down, you know, just in, in stockings. Uh, but I saw the gold, like other Caucasians pick up every once in a while, you know. And I just like, what is that, the oro, you know, and so... She said, you mean to tell me your paintings cost $3,000? And I said, the painting's a joke. The idea's worth $3,000. See you at 9 o'clock tomorrow. I just have to tell you one thing as you're milling out. Somebody said, why'd you have Jonathan Winters here? He's not a writer. And I said, who do you think writes his stuff? Anyway, I'll see you at 9 o'clock tomorrow for the, the l'envoi, the bonjour, and the uh, goodbye. <laughs>